Hello, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You are very well aware of this show at this point in time because you're listening. <laughs> this show is where I sit down with the world's top creators and entrepreneurs and thought leaders, and I do everything in my power to get them to unpack their brains, actionable, valuable insights with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest today is the founder, driving force, and frontman behind the indie rock band The Shins. It is Mr. James Mercer. Man, if you if you hail and knew anything about indie rock and you are or if you're from either Seattle or Portland, this guy walks on water around here, one of the most talented voices of this generation. Twenty years in the game. He's seen just about everything you can see in the rock and music business, inside of tiny dive bars to Billboard top 10 albums on major labels. And I'm sure you can imagine he's learned a few things along the way. And not just about music. Our conversation today was very much around um, getting your career as a creator off the ground. You know, you're living in your parents' basement, things are tough, or you're transitioning out of one career into the thing that you've wanted to do your whole life. Keeping it on the rails after a long time is actually even harder. So we we covered that whole span. Um, being one of the best, someone who breaks through into mainstream success, that is even orders of magnitude harder than either starting or that 20-year career. We pick into James's brain about that. The high highs and invariably coupled with the low lows. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that is a, a, a very consistent theme across the podcast is these are people who have achieved success and there's not a single one of them who from whom we have not heard about their troubles and for me that's a breath of fresh air because I, I think if you're sitting you know at home in your underwear in Ohio right now listening to this you're thinking that everybody just makes it overnight and that is not the case um, we also get into the nitty-gritty of how and why he created dun, 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 a new app you're like, wait a minute, I thought that he was a musician. Well, that's part of, uh, you know, I guess another theme in this show is that we're all a bunch of hyphens. So indeed, he has created an app called Pasted, which is one of the, how many how many apps are on the front page of your iPhone? Maybe like 15 or something like that. This is one of them on the front page of my phone. I use it. It's called Pasted. It's an insanely cool um, collage app, and, and he gives a, a nice backstory on why he started that, and we talk about creators as entrepreneurs. We also talk about stamina, I, I mentioned his longstanding career, how do you continually reinvent yourself? You know, you put it out there on one track, and then over time, you need to continue to evolve as a creator, so how do you stay motivated after all that? The artist as entrepreneur paradigm is also something that I feel like that created a lot of problems for me early. I spent so much of my time trying to demonstrate how that, that creativity was critical to the future and, and critical to being obviously uh, an artist that has any sort of staying power or and has the ability to make a living in a life. The, the, the how to actually make money doing the thing that you love is a nut that very few podcasts, I feel like very few uh, creators talk about because it's the unsexy part of being a creator, the reality is that's the part that makes it so you can do the things that you want to do, to have a, a family, to travel, to invest more in making things that will in turn elevate your profile as an artist. And we also cover collaboration. How do you have co-creators? For example, 
uh, James's project called Broken Bells, a collabo with Danger Mouse. Shortly after Danger Mouse had released uh, his Gnarls Barkley album, they were both struggling to find a new voice and they were struggling together, came, came together, helped one another out. So we cover a little bit about that as well. Um, and then lastly, James talks about being shy and how as an artist, that's really hard to both you know, be introverted, create the music and the art that you need to create. But how do you then find other folks out there in the world to help you break your music free? Because as you've heard in my uh, YouTube videos, there is another 50% beyond the creating, which is how to put your work out there and get recognized. So actually the woman who signed him to his first uh, record deal was in the audience Megan Jasper from Sub Pop Records so uh, we touch base on that too in short my phone's dinging that means I need to get into the show without further ado but a quick word from our sponsor before we do this episode is brought to you by Creative Live Creative Live is the world's largest and best online platform for creative and entrepreneurial education with more than 10,000 hours that's 1,500 classes 25,000 lessons taught by the world's top experts in so many categories in photography, design, entrepreneurship. You get it. Pilcher Prize winners, Grammy Award winners, best-selling authors, and game-changing entrepreneurs. This is where they go to teach names like oh, people who've been on the show, like Tim Ferriss, for example, Ramit Sethi, Chris Gillibo, Joe McNally, Ryan Holiday, and other off-the-charts folks that uh, you've certainly heard of, you know, names like Richard Branson or Mark Cuban. Uh, in design, you got Stefan Sagmeister, has been on the 30 Days of Genius. You get the picture. And right now you might be saying, wait a minute, isn't, wait, you're the founder and the CEO of this thing. Yes, it's true, I am. And the resources actually from Creative Live are what make this show possible every week. So we're giving them a shout out. If you want to get your learn on, whether the goal is to, to make a living or just a life around your passions and prove your craft, you get the picture. I want you to head over to creativelive.com and search for Creative Live in the App Store if you're on iOS. Very, very good app. And with that, let's get into the show. Come on, buddy. Come on. Sit on here. Nice and slow, otherwise it'll make yeah. a noise. Oh, yeah. Won't be kitchen. There he is. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, bud. Thank you. Can you get comfortable? You, you yeah, this is good. Okay. Yeah. Um, just got you some brown water in case you um, want some brown water. That's grown-up juice. Um, so one of the things that is insanely inspiring about uh, you and your career is, A, the start. One of the things that so many people think who are watching from afar is that the start just happens and you're shot out of a cannon. But from what I know of your, your past and, and so many other people who have made a living and a life doing what they love, it was, you know, you've heard 10,000 hours or just, you know, years and years of toiling. I would love it if you'd start off our, our um, conversation today with a little bit of backstory of, of what it was like in the beginning where there wasn't people lining up for you. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And when you were living in your basement or whatever. Um, well, I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, I had, my dad is an Air Force guy, and we had, he had been stationed overseas in the UK for three years, and so I graduated high school over there in an American-style high school that was kind of an international school. Um, 
and then we moved to Albuquerque. Wait a minute, like there to Albuquerque? From there to Albuquerque. Albuquerque has a massive nuclear weapons facility, yeah. and that was my dad's forte. That's what he did was, was munitions, and of course, as you work your way up in that career, you are in charge of nuclear bombs. <laughs> in, um, so, so that's why we were in Albuquerque. And um, you know, he, he really pushed me to do some sort of a technical field. I mean, science and engineering stuff, which wasn't really, I didn't really have the brain for it, you know, or the, the, the desire, I think. Um, and I ended up dropping out and uh, playing in bands and just was really fascinated by music and art and so on. And How'd that go over with a, a oh. military father? I mean, not well, as you can imagine. I remember my mom saying one night, they were arguing about it, they were frustrated with me, and her just saying, I don't know why he does what he does. <laughs> you know, I was t it was totally confusing to them, I think, yeah. you know? It made no sense. Um, until, you know, and, and so my 20s was spent, you know, in bands, messing around, and kind of, and having a lot of fun, honestly. But, um, was and there any success at that point, or was it I just mean, in bands having fun? We couldn't draw 200 people to a show in Albuquerque, in our home, hometown. Yeah. Know? So no, not really. <laughs> well, I, mean, we, we, I was learning a lot, though. Yeah. I was learning a lot about songwriting. I was learning a lot about what I was capable of. Um, you know, I was faking it a lot yep. um, and trying to be something that I really wasn't, that didn't really make sense for my personality. Um, and just kind of working it out. And, and um, by the end of the 90s, technology had advanced to the point where you, you could record at home. And a buddy of mine gave me a, like a, Four track a bootleg. Well, he gave me a bootleg version of Cool Edit Pro, which is a really cool program, actually. And that's what I recorded the first Shins record on. The whole record? Yeah, on a Hewlett Packard Pavilion, like one of those short <laughs> stack things that like an office sort of computer. Wow. Yeah. And so, still basically unknown, working? Sure. Uh, were you working to pay the bills, or how did that work? Um, yeah, I was working odd jobs. Um, <laughs> you can say I, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're all here, right? That's I was working all kinds of odd jobs. I mean, I, temp agencies oddest? are great. What were the oddest? Um, a buddy of mine gave me some starts of marijuana and I started I've growing that. that in the closet <laughs> and selling that to friends and stuff like that. I mean, just whatever I could do. You, you were know? just ahead of your times, very entrepreneurial here <laughs> in Washington. Uh, right? I really don't recommend that in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1999. With a military father. It, with him, yeah. Um, but, you know, I just, I, need, I knew that I needed to be able to go on tour and I needed time for myself to yeah. do what I was really into because I knew none of these jobs that I was doing were you know going to come to any nice end yeah. it was just paying the rent you know so I just kept working at it and recording was a huge thing I mean getting that device and being able to layer tracks and so on that was like I mean it blew my mind and I became kind of obsessed about it yeah, I haven't talked to so many people in the seat that you're in right now this is a really common theme that I'm hoping that you all can help us culturally uh, move forward, which is that, that there is something that you're supposed to be or become. If you're successful, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Obviously, the times are so much different now. And what, mm. what are we doing to stamp out so many of the things that that could be an amazing artist or a musician? Um, but we've got this cultural sensibility that we need to reframe. So that story, I've, I've heard it over and over again. So A, you're not alone. And 
B, let's make sure that the rest of the world doesn't feel like that, where we have some responsibility to impact them. And you're really filling this niche. I mean, where, you you know, certain skill sets that are very valuable now are just not available at the traditional college or whatever. Yeah, yeah, creative live is to disrupt that. Yeah. So you, you said something sort of declarative right there, which was like, and, and actually recording was mm. really important. Why was it? Does it? Did it give you a sense of like permanency and you were capturing something and you were able to share it? What was the... Well, I mean, it's how you make a product in the music world, you know? It's how you get the attention of some of the people who are here tonight who uh, really <laughs> changed my life. Megan Jasper's here from Sub Pop, everybody. Yes. But, yeah. um, you know, Amazing. and it, it's so... I. I I loved also, I loved records, you know, I, I, I wanted to be part of that world. So, and then also in Albuquerque, the, it's, it's kind of few and far between the people who know how to do that. You need somebody who knows how to record, is a good engineer and has good taste. Yeah. So that's a combination that's just, you can find it in a big city like this, but in Albuquerque there were just only a very few and it was expensive. So is that what you're doing yourself at that point? Just... And so I started doing it myself. And it started with a four track, like you said, and then it was the, this Hewlett Packard Pavilion <laughs> computer that like... Word processing by day, oh, man. Yeah. Shin's recording device by night. <laughs> yep, so exactly. how did you get from there to Portland mm-hmm. and Seattle and the Northwest? Like, mm-hmm. Did you just like, literally decide to pick up and move? Was it because everything was happening here? Like, mm-hmm. And what, what time frame? Give us a little... Well, I mean, it, it sort of starts with, with little tour jaunts that I made. That reminds me, I should probably... Try yeah, make, make sure you're all phones <laughs> off. You don't want to be that person, right? <laughs> uh, you know, little jaunts that we would do in, in an old band that I was in called Flake. Um, we met people. So, again, it's just working. It's doing. It's getting out there yeah. and meeting people and, and making connections that you don't realize will come to some strange fruition, you know, down the road. Um, so on this one trip, we opened up for a little band in a sandwich shop. Uh, it was a band that was on the newly formed Up Records called Modest Mouse. And we played right there, right? And, uh, in a we, sandwich shop. In a sandwich shop on you know, a stage not near as big as this, you know? Um, and people are coming in and buying their food and stuff. Um, but you know, so what happened was Isaac hit me up about opening up for them in Texas because he had remembered we were from New Mexico and he put it together and was like, you guys come out and open up for us. I really like that record you guys did. It was a 10 inch we had. And um, I met, I hung out with Zeke Howard, who is partner with me on Pasted. Yep. He was drumming we'll for Love is Pasted. Laughter, who was yep. opening up for Modest Mouse as well. It's these connections, you know, it's crazy. Well, from sandwich shop to yeah. like top right. 10 billboard albums, obviously there was a journey there so get your ass now to okay, Northwest. Yeah, sorry. I'm no, no, it's all right. <laughs> You're right. That, I'm that was excited. The point. <laughs> no, this is the detail that people want. They want another sandwich yeah. shop because I think people yeah. at home, they don't know oh, that it's in James Chico, Mercer, California. That they literally don't know. Don't know. This is part of the thing is that you, you think that this stuff happens overnight and the reality is that you're living in a basement with a four your parents track. Are and a, yeah, your parents are pissed. <laughs> and so for, there, there are people out there who are listening who are trying to go from zero to one. That means they don't even identify as creative or whatever and they're trying to mm-hmm. get there. And then there are people who've been grinding for a long time and you almost just have to outlast the shit. You uh, have to yeah. get through it. And so now mm-hmm. I would like you to take us on a little journey here up to the Northwest because okay, you played right. the sandwich shop. You yes. met, you so met Zeke Isaac. and Isaac both go back to Seattle where they were living and they speak to people at Sub Pop and say, you know, Sub Pop was, was 
really cool in that they were telling some of their bands and people that they knew, like, if you see anything cool out there, let us know, you know? And yeah. so we got kind of a direct connection or indirect connection to Sub Pop through that. And, you know, it wasn't too much uh, longer after that. And Megan and Jonathan, who were running Sub Pop, um, showed up at a, a show and, you know. It's Where was that show? Was that at the? That was in San Francisco that I okay. first met you. Um, <laughs> But we, we started having correspondence with Sub Pop, and it was a big deal. I mean, it, it was, I don't think I really realized how big of a deal it would be for Albuquerque. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. Really crazy time for us, you know? So did it, you're living in Seattle now, you're talking to Sub Pop. Yeah. And no, I, I, uh, I was still living in Albuquerque and lived there for until, well, just for a couple of years. Okay. And then that was GoPro down. GoPro down. <laughs> and then I moved to Portland, Oregon, okay. actually, uh, because a friend of mine had run out of gas in Portland and became a dishwasher. <laughs> and literally, that happened. I have a friend who's got a lot of money. He's a dishwasher. I'm going to go move in with him. Yeah. I mean, that was called a soft landing for us in Albuquerque, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, so you're in Portland. There's mm -hmm. a scene. You got this. this uh, Amazing group of people at Sub Pop Records. Exposed to all kinds of new things, totally different um, social life, and it was, yeah, it was cool. When did the first record happen? That was 2001, June of 2001. Okay. And, and then we went on tour, and 9-11 happened while we were out there, and, and, just, and we just began this crazy career. Um, you know, and it started out slow still, you know. It, it was just a record available. It, that's yeah. all, you know, uh, although it was on Sub Pop, which, yeah. you know, Gave it mom and pop record stores, yep. are, they respect and, and admire Sub Pop. But we were unknown. Yeah. And, um, and so touring was an integral part of, you know, getting the word out. And was it like a bunch of guys in a van? In a van, like see sure. In the movies? And yep. we're driving, and yep. my buddy is doing his best to tour manage, working with, you know, people who don't want to pay us, no matter how well we did, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. So catapult yourself from driving around in a van um, to releasing a full length, there was an EP. Uh, yeah, so we put, out a, we put out a single on Sub Pop and then a full length record on Sub Pop because I had built up quite a bit of material yep. working with this computer. Um, it's all about the computer, and right? I, well, it, I mean. <laughs> the robots help, they're great. They, I, seriously, you know, I tried to do what I did on O Inverted World with a four track and it, it, I'm, I'm not that skilled. I mean, it just, it takes a lot of work um, it, it was it was a, a great, you know, the advent of that thing really did change everything. Um, so we had the first record came out. Um, Sub Pop sent us to Europe. We went and played in Sweden and stuff, and um, it was just really cool. Um, and then what happened is about that time, so it did spread. There was there was something about the record that had some hooks in it. Yep. And. Um, and it, it wasn't too long, you know, after the record coming out, I mean, maybe six months to a year, that we, I remember receiving a treatment and somebody wanted to put one of our songs in a movie. Um, and we immediately were like, yeah, totally. The treatment, he doesn't mean the spa, he got a movie treatment. Yeah, a movie treatment. Which, it was yeah. like, the scene is written out and here's how we'll use your song. And, and we were like, yes, totally. And that was the first of many of those sorts of things. 
Um, Do you remember what that was? It ended up being Garden State, which didn't come out until 2004 or so, but it was 2001 or 2002 when we were approached. A lot of people lost their virginity to that in this room. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Got that one. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> so that ended up being a really huge thing for us. Yeah. And, and is partly why I'm here today, you know. You think so? Is that yeah, it was a big deal a, for yeah. us. It was just... Well, that soundtrack was really it, widely played. There was a really know, popular yeah. movie and a yeah. popular soundtrack. Yeah. So you and Zach Braff buddies because of that? Um, I can't say we're buddies, but I know him and I've done more work for him and he's a real sweet guy and yeah. All right, so, really cool. so did that just go from like zero to 100 miles an hour and you went from, from sandwich It went from the to... red van that we were touring in <laughs> to actually being able to rent a bus. See, these are musician terms, right? It went from the red van to the bus. We went to van, van to bus. Yeah, it was pretty cool. With a bathroom in it. Yeah. <laughs> no <one>. Upgrade. <laughs> wow. Did the Sub Pop know about that? Because that's probably an upcharge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go from there to stardom. Just skip everything, mm. and you got the number one or two album on the Billboard. So and that would have been Wincing, the third record. Yeah, contrast those two lives for us. So Red Van to the, the bus with the bathroom, and uh -huh. then playing large venues, sold-out shows, you know, Billboard top ten albums. I mean, my personal life really hasn't changed that much. I, there's not that much of a difference, you know. Um, what about the psychology? I mean, and is this something, you, yeah. you, did you actively resist this? Or is it just because you're James? Or yeah. the people want to know? I would say yes, my psychology has changed. Um, Megan, who's here, who's known me during this whole... Can we just, Megan, just, I, I, well, Megan, just put your hand up. But can we, I'm sorry, Megan. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... You have to. You have to. You have to. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that the people who knew me back then would say yes. I've, I was very, I was just very shy, um, and you know, so and just reticent and all that. So yeah. I mean, I've I'm come out, I've come out of my shell, I guess, during this process a little bit. But I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I I'm not very visible. You know, I'm I'm not really spotted on the street often or any of that stuff. Yeah. So my life really has Is that active? Do you actively work against that? Or? I don't really think about it much. I, I mean... Also living in Portland probably helps, right? Living in Portland helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess I haven't really sought out the, the, the um, my image being available. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it wasn't a decision. It was just sort of like... You know, I had cool friends who did great art, like Jesse Ledoux, who yep. lives up here in Seattle. And, um, and so it, it, that would be the default thing for us as far as artwork or things like that. We wouldn't, it wouldn't just be like, you know, us on the cover. So, but you don't have to tour in the bus or the bathroom necessarily. You don't have to live mm -hmm. in, in a small apartment in uh, Albuquerque, Anymore. New Mexico. Yeah, in Albuquerque. Right. Um, did, do you feel like your art changed because of the acknowledgement? I'm trying to, to right. help people relate to the fact that so many people have a great freshman album and then struggles a sophomore because mm. there's a lot of shit going on. Right. Um, and did you feel none of that, some of that? Hmm. It feels like, based on how you're, you're responding, that you, didn't, you, just, you were just like doing your thing. Is that true? It wasn't very intense. And I remember being asked these questions back when we put out our second record, because mm -hmm. the first one was a, a success. 
Um, you know, in some ways, I think that the creative process is always a bit of a struggle. You're sort of having a conversation with yourself. You're, you know, you're criticizing it as you're doing it. Yeah. And this dialogue's going on. You're imagining people seeing it. I mean, that's even when I'm doing like visual stuff or writing. You know, um, I'm imagining this conversation and I'm having the conversation at the same time with myself. So it is a bit of a struggle, I think, yeah. no matter what. Um, you know, like when I was in Albuquerque alone in my room, I knew my friends were going to hear it. Um, I knew the other bands in town were going to hear it. And I wanted to freaking show them, you know? <laughs> I was, so I had this like angst and intensity about it. Yeah. Just Did you lose that when it was just on the radio? Or because there was no them, there was no they? Maybe then it slightly shifts and changes because um, you have, in addition to the people that you know that you're impressed by, that you want to impress, you also have unknown masses yeah. that, that you want to impress. I, but I don't know, it, it, it didn't have the impact that I think it does have on some artists sometimes. Got it, all right, shift gears. Okay. So I wanna find out a couple things about you that, the, that um, well that, maybe that's the question. What are some things about you that if you revealed right here that people would be surprised to know? Hmm. I don't. Because the whole God, selling, I feel like weed, I'm selling weed thing read. is probably a thing. That's probably a surprise. I never have actually revealed that. Before. Yeah. <laughs> you're safe. But here now in that it's legal up here, you know, it's like. Like my nine God, tenths of, What would have happened to me if they'd have found that in the closet? You know. <laughs> um, you know, you're in your twenties. You're kind of <laughs> wild. Um, man, I mean. An ideal day for me is at home with my family, my wife and kids, in the garden. The garden. You, last time in we were together garden. in San Francisco, you talked a Done. lot about gardening. Is that a thing? I mean, it's a big thing for my wife. And it's something that I sort of introduced to her. But um, she's just run with it. And it's just a big part of our life, therefore. Do you have like chickens? And this is, you're Portland, so we, you have chickens. Yeah, you have our goats, neighbors have chickens. And goats our neighbors and stuff. I've seen Portlandia. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's our neighborhood. It's like, we haven't got chickens yet. We, yeah. we have no pets. Maybe that's a surprise. I have no, we have no pets. No pets. <laughs> um, well, you also remarked in one of the most recent answers there about. I was in MS-13 for a while. No. See, there's nothing surprising. <laughs> nothing surprising. nothing really surprising. No, you're wildly surprising. The fact that you grew weed in your closet to pay for your food. Um, you said something a second ago just about, about being creative where I'm writing or drawing or uh, I don't know if you said painting, but you, you said you, under your breath said four or five things. And that's yeah. one of the things that um, is wildly apparent when you spend any time with you that you, you think and work on lots of different dimensions. Um, is that inherent in you? Do you feel like that was uncorked by your music and it was putting music out there that allowed you to pursue a bunch of other things and you got used to putting yourself out there? So what is it, huh. you know, talk to me about that for a sec. I mean, I, I've always been curious. There's that, you know, yeah. I've always just been fascinated by the world. And so, and I guess I've always had a little bit of a almost delusional belief that I could that I could do something cool, that I could contribute something. So maybe that, those two combined has got me messing around with lots of things. Well, that's the thing. When you ask a, a room full of, let's say you all were like eight-year-olds, who wants to come up here and draw me a picture? Every hand in the room goes up. And then you ask that same question when they're 12, 20% of the hands are up. And you ask that same question when they're 20, and there's like four people in the room that want to get up and draw. Ugh. 
Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. That's one of the reasons why this place exists. But would you put yourself in the camp of people who have just like, blown through that and not paid attention to it, and you were always good with wearing that as a badge? No, I was definitely one of the kids who would not put his hand up, even at eight years old, probably. Yeah. I was shy. I was really terribly shy. So I really had to um, come out of my shell. And I mean, I can, I can credit... Um, so I was doing art, yeah. but it was in my bedroom. It was, you know, I kept it private. But um, I had a friend named Neil Langford who was in Flake with me, and he kind of took my hand and pulled me on stage at one point, and, and that was the beginning of me sort of getting over that stuff. And I, I mean, I really don't know that I would have ever done anything if it weren't for that moment. Yeah. He really was like, you know, he heard me playing in my room or something. He was like, you should join our band. Should go play at the sandwich shop. Yeah, right. Yes. That's the that's another thing that I'm hoping that people at home can take away is that it started at the sandwich shop, not just for you, but for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Sure. I'm. I'm. I would guess that. I mean, unless you are spotted at the mall at 10 years old and Disney signs you to something, you know, it's gonna be the sandwich that never shop. Go, that Sorry. never goes well, though. Yeah, it doesn't go well. <laughs> it never goes well. It yeah. never goes well. So you, you feel reasonably confident as an artist. You said, I think I can make a mark. I think, and that sounds like it came over time. Mm. Um, one of the things when we were last in San Francisco together, you talked about uh, a new creation. You've talked about yourself mm. as a non-techie. Yeah. And yet here you are. You guys, for if you don't know, James uh, and some friends um, developed an app. Mm-hmm. Tell us, like that seemed like you, you've got however many millions of records out there in the world, you're on your, you just self-produce a new one, you're, and, right. and the thing that's like, you're talking about a lot I is know. this app. I'm really into it right Is now. it weird? You're into it, right? Um, because Tell it's another, I think it's another creative sort of thing. Um, starting a partnership with some friends, Zeke, who I told you helped me to get signed to Sub Pop. Um, I was in a restaurant in Hawaii called Buzz's, an old, I mean, it's been around probably since the 40s or 50s, on the beach in Kailua, neat old place. And there was a collage of just faces mainly, and just a big board filled with these faces, old pictures, and you could see that at the bottom, you know, they were getting newer, you know, it's like from the 60s all the way to the 80s or something. And I thought, with your phone, using facial recognition, you could possibly uh, make an app like that. And so I started looking for it, because like, it's, it's going to be there, and I'm going to buy that. And yep. My Instagram is going to be so cool. You know? <laughs> um, but it wasn't there. And so um, Zeke and I spoke. And, and Zeke is a programmer now. He's no longer the drummer for Love is Laughter. <laughs> uh, but he is a drummer <laughs> still. He's playing tonight, actually, in town. Um, but uh, so he, he said, yes, we can do this. This could be done. And um, he already was in the midst. He, he had done work for Spotify. He runs a company with his partner, Ben, called, called Brigade. Brigade. And they had done work for Spotify. Just cool stuff. Super like, cool stuff. And I, I didn't realize he had done all this cool stuff. And he had this whole second career. But anyway, so we worked together. And we for many long months, we hashed it out trying to design this user interface, which is really fun to try and figure out what do people want to do? What do you like about the apps that you love? Um, and then there's the whole aesthetic side to it. And so, yeah, we created a collage app called Pasted. And, and I think you're going to show us. Can I, sh yeah. <laughs> Let's really see if it pops up. I really want to show you guys, actually. 
but I am not sure that I am what, yeah, running we'll, over here. We'll figure out what, what, what has to happen in order I to put that I up can, there. Do you think you know? I think maybe. What's that? Airplay. Okay. To the Apple TV? Airplay to what? Boot deck. Booth A. Booth A or boot deck. <laughs> booth A. Can you guys call me Booth A from now on? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, well, well, look at there. There it is. Yeah, so this is pasted. Um, that's our cute animation that happens at the beginning. So <laughs> get started, and basically what we'll see are photos in my camera roll. You, did you edit this first? Because this could be ugly. <laughs> I, I selected some photos that I okay, thought good. were pretty right, good. This is going to be very rough, okay? But the thing that this does that other collage apps don't do is you can select a bunch of things and throw them up at once. Um, and it just sort of... Okay, there they are. It's not looking cool yet, but I can I select know, this, and I can just start moving things around, and I can, if I work at it, I can approximate what I saw at Buzz's. It has facial recognition, so it avoids coming, cutting out my mom and my daughter's face there. Um, and it just is kind of cool, and you can see that basically you can assemble last night's party. Now I've changed a filter. Um, you can go like this, and there's a bunch of different filters. You can go up and you get the backgrounds changing. Um, but I've done a t-shirt design with this. Um, Thank you for that I, gift, by the way. Yeah, right? You gave me, you gave me the shirt. It's amazing. So anyway, that's basically the gist of it. But you can imagine messing around with this for a while. And it's got a bunch of cool features. Like this is a masking tool where you can uh, do weird stuff like this. So and make why weird. did you do this? Like, was it just, was it like... Because it, I couldn't because buy it, it, so I had to make it. That's, <laughs> but that's the thing, like, that's a takeaway, that if you're, again, at home or out there, if, you, if you're interested in making something, make something that scratches your own itch. Because that's what people care about. People know that. And if you have a thing that, that is bugging you, there's probably, you know, a million other people. That's just the way the world works. And yeah. in, in the process of making this, what kind of experience was it for you? Were you satisfied? Were you terrified? Like, is this fun and interesting for you to share this with a, people, a bunch of people who know you as a musician, and now you're a developer? Is that weird? Um, or, it's or, or it's a different sort of thing, but um, I, I, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, when you're, when, you, when you're creating a product, it kind of goes back to that thing of when you're recording a record, you're really just taking what you're doing in your bedroom or at, at, on stage, and you're turning it into something that people can experience from afar. Yeah. And it, and it really becomes about product design and there's packaging and, and all those things. So um, it's similar in certain ways, you know, that whole, the aesthetic side of it. Um, do we have any of those examples, some of we the do. collages that we really like? I was just like? about to break oh, them out. Cool. So I don't know if you want to talk through some of these. These, it's going to be hard to see if you're at the back of the room, but I'll hold these still so that camera that's hovering over your head right there <laughs> yeah. can get it. Um, these are some of the examples that the community, uh, of things that the community have made. Um, this is like very Fallon-esque, right? I'm sitting here like this. Yeah. <laughs> this but it, like truly beautiful stuff. And one of the things, the first, you want to hold on to that? Yeah. I'll show a few more here. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, um, well, that's scary. One of the, one of the things, well, if, if you actually pay attention to the app, and, and it's on the front page of my phone right now, and the night that we hung out in San Francisco not too long ago, there's a thriving community that's using this to make stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of these are sort of abstract. That's Yuki. 
who's here, our bass player. Where are you at, Yuki? There he is, back there. He's like, he's claiming it right now, <laughs> I saw that. This is cool, this is Annie Beattie did this, uh, who, who's a really great artist and uh, does all kinds of amazing work down in Portland. She's moved to LA, but that's a great one. This is, there's a Dead Alive sticker pack, so the Shins Dead Alive song that we first released, we <laughs> did a sticker pack based on the video that we created. Got it, so there's stickers in there, sort yeah. of like Instagram stories. you didn't show the stickers. You didn't show but the stickers? there's stickers. Okay, there's stickers. Yeah. There you go. This is a person named Blue Cacao, that's her handle on Instagram, he or she actually. He or she, do you know? You don't know. I don't know, but does really, really cool stuff with pasted. So the, it looks like in part the, like my grandma's hallway, just mm. covered with these collages of when we were all, you know, young and. She did that. Yeah, she like oh. all these little cutouts and yeah. whatnot. Um, and I've also, you know, the Rolling Stone did a big piece about the, about the app and is, is it like rock poster collage thing? That's I mean, one of the things that we've kind of discovered is, is a value in it. You know, I, back in those days in Albuquerque, I would spend hours at Kinko's making photocopies and blowing things up and then using whiteout and making flyers and stuff. And Pace is actually a great way to do that sort of stuff on way the faster. fly with your yeah. phone and, you know, and not have to necessarily own a $2,000 laptop, you know, with Photoshop on it or whatever. Got it. Well, throughout the course of our conversation so far, uh, I've asked uh, some folks here in the room to be forwarding the questions that are coming in from all over the world. And I've got four or five, and I'd like to go to a couple of those, but y'all in here in the room, um, I'll let you guys have a couple questions in a second, but I do want to get to this one. Mary Jennings um, asks, have you ever really considered giving up being an artist? Or is it what you were meant to do? And if you have, was it art, was it the art making, or was it the struggle to successfully perform mm. that was the challenge? I think it is that. That was difficult. That was two things, though. I, uh, <laughs> the, the art making. Yeah, the art making, or was it the performing after you've made the oh, art? Oh right, sort I see. Like, yeah, in in the world of music, yeah, you, yeah. you have to end up performing it, don't you? Yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, really, I I, I was always enjoy, I always enjoyed making music, yep. and um, and I don't think I would have ever really given that up. But yes, I did, you know, before I, I was able to make a living at it, of course, you know, it's like, I mean, am I really just kidding myself? Like, what is this that right. I'm doing, you know? Um, and at one time I told my parents uh, in Albuquerque that, you know, I had this new computer and I was gonna really push hard and, and don't expect much from me in the next year. You know, I know you guys are frustrated with me, but I'm gonna push hard this year to make as good an album as I can and see if it merits anything and see if it becomes any kind of a success. Um, and, it, and, and I promised them if that didn't work, I would go back to school and get a proper job and stuff like that. So yeah, there's that moment. For How'd me. it go for them? I mean, was that, um, they, well, you, then you, they I, were like, yeah, right. And then they were tapping their fingers and. You know, they acted supportive. <laughs> I like you said they acted. <laughs> You know, they were frustrated, and I can understand it. I mean, I'd probably you want, you be want a, You want a lot for your kids. And they're probably. a different generation, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they did their best to be patient with me, honestly. How yeah. big of a part of your career today is fear versus <clears throat> 20 years ago when you started? 
I, I have to be honest. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag still. Um, but this is like this needs uh, to be said, James. This yeah, is yeah, why yeah, right. I'm yeah. Question. Uh, it's a good question, um, and I've never been asked it. I think that I was pretty fearless, you know, early on because there was nothing to lose. Um, and I would say that there are times now when there is fear, you know, and anxiety about. Um, is it because of who you become? Because you have expectations? <laughs> because you, you know you're like trying to get a paycheck? Like, mm -hmm. what, what's the fear about now? Well, I recently I, I had this doubt because I'm really out of touch in a lot of ways with like the modern music scene. You know, I, I know certain bands and they really they s stick out to me, but I do see a lot of things that are popular that I don't really understand why they're popular. You know, and we all do probably. That was so nicely said, wasn't it? But the, it's a disconcerting sort of thing, you know. Um, I'm gonna. But then I realized, that. so brilliant. In a conversation with my wife, she kind of pointed out, "You've never been in touch, man. You've never been in touch with it. It's always been like, you know, it's it's it's, and it, and and that's kind of good, I guess. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like that's one of the reasons I asked the question because you just do you. And that's, there's, uh, I think artists yeah. by and large, and, and just people, whether you're trying to transition career or whatever it is, you think that the answers are out there, but they're really in here. Mm. Like that, what mm. makes you and the things why I, these and the things I love up? and the things I really love. Like right. uh, there's, you can see influences and so on, but yeah, I but this love is why people those show things up dearly. You because know? you're not in touch with the new hot shit. True. So if you're sitting at home, <laughs> say true. <laughs> but that's the thing. If you're sitting at home, like what you got to do is you got to do you. So. Uh, another question that's dovetailed mm. off that other one is, um, we haven't even touched on the new record yet, which this is a great segue into it. Um, why don't you give us the short, so talk about it for just a second, then I'll ask this here question from Brian. Okay, um, the new record is on Columbia Records. It's called Heartworms. Heartworms? Um, Heartworms. What, what's the title? Let's give us the backstory. Um, well, are these like stupid rock journalist questions? Because no, I don't this normally. No, it's good. I kind of like this story. Okay, good. I like to tell it. Um, I don't know if any of you remember. There was a band in the '90s called Heartworms. No, um, no one remembers okay. that. Well, they were. They had one really cool record, but it was Archie Moore who had done Velocity Girl and other bands. I'm spacing right now, but really cool guy. Um, and I was in the midst of writing the song titled Heartworms, uh, and. I wanted to describe this love affair as something, something that the person just really wishes they could just take a pill and just get it knocked out of them and just be past it. So they feel infected by something, but I didn't want to be too grotesque. So I remembered this heartworms in that phrase. It always just struck me as something really cool. you know. Um, so I contacted Archie Moore, and he gave me the go ahead. First he gave me. He kind of messed with me. He was like, shade. dude, like, I cannot believe you would ever, you know. <laughs> and he's like, just kidding. Just kidding. And so he let me use it. And I'm, I'm very thankful because um, I really love what he did. And uh, so, yeah, anyway, so Heartworms. That's, and that, to me, just became like everything about the record sort of, you know, it's like those moments where all of a sudden, oh, now everything makes sense. You know, the record's called Heartworms. It's, um, I'm hopefully infectious. Um, and touches your heart. So it was just kind of a grotesque <laughs> version of like the word earworm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, it's been a while, is it not? Since you, 
since you released since the, the record came out. Oh yeah, it was five years for the Shins. It was five years. Of yeah. course, I'm in another band called Broken Bells, and we had yes. done one two years earlier. So let's so talk. I kind of leapfrog Broken Bells and right. Shins. Let's talk about Broken Bells for a second. I think yeah. that's a really interesting project. Go there for me. Give us the backstory. Yeah. Um, Danger okay, Mouse. Okay, so Danger Mouse, a famous producer, uh, Brian Burton is his real name. When he's not Do you call him the Danger, costume. or is that his middle Danger. name? I call him Danger. No, I just Brian, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brian. Um, but so um, I was in a bit of a oh man, I don't want to say, say crisis it. mode. It's safe. It's safe mode, right? Is I was safe here? I was struggling with the band, and um, I, I wanted to do something different. I knew that. I, I wanted to sort of change things up. This is after wincing the night away, and. Um, and Brian uh, was also in a similar situation. He wanted to have a new band, like a proper band. He really likes to perform and write, um, and he's great at all of it. And so uh, he wanted to do the same thing, and uh, we got in touch through my management. I had met him a number of times at shows and stuff. He was a Shins fan, um, and I was a fan of his stuff. So he proposed the idea that we get together and just have a band. Like, we'll just write songs together. I know, like, it's crazy. Yo, like, yep, yeah, let, let's, let's do, do a band. And he Isn't had a working simple? studio, and oh, cool. like he's got Kenny Takahashi and Todd uh, Monfalcone, who are great engineers. So I was just invited to go down there. And of course, this is back. I'm still a little bit in my shell yeah. at this time. I was nervous about this. You know, I mean, I hadn't gone and performed with people outside of my band before, you know? So, I mean, it was a pain in the ass to get me on stage in the first place, and now I was going to go work with proper musicians and a famous producer. Um, you know, Brian had just finished basically touring and doing the second Gnarls Barkley record. They're a big band. It's a big act. That was one of the biggest songs of that era. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was really nervous, and it's funny looking back, and you know, you have those moments, you're just scared to death to do something, and often you, you just do it and get through it, and you look back later, and you're like, what was I so afraid of? It was one of the first, it was a, it was a big moment for me working with Brian. But if you take so. that little nut, if, that's, if you walk away with anything from this conversation, you should walk away with that. There's a moment where you're terrified and then as soon as you start doing it, as soon as you're into it and maybe start to get out of it, you ask yourself, what was I so terrified about? Take that, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people retweeting that right now, but the, yeah. the journey from Shoots Too Narrow to the new album, how have you changed as an artist? Mm. Yes, well, man. Oh, well, I'm more adventurous, yeah. you know? I, I think the new record is, is the most adventurous thing we've done. Um, and, and it's a lot of those steps. It's you know, working with somebody like Brian who has very different aesthetic uh, scope and very different technique and learning a lot. Um, and it's you know, just doing it enough and, and growing and, then, and also feeding off of new music that's out there. Um, so as out of touch as I say I am, I really love Ariel <laughs> P. I'm obsessive about new music. I, I love Tame Impala and you know some of these oh, really cool incredible. things. Yeah. You know, but they're not necessarily the absolute top of the charts or anything right now. You know. But well, David Butler wants to know: Did you have a long-term plan, or are you just following your instincts? No plan. Oh, no. <laughs> oh God, no, never plan, never. Uh, well, I would if I could, but I didn't have a I didn't have a plan. You know, I have I have realistic goals that I'll set for myself, but. 
Um, yeah, no, I didn't have sort of like a life plan. I mean, this was, this was hard work and luck and, 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 you know, knowing when an opportunity is, is, has arrived and not letting it pass, you know, too. And that's intuition? I guess so, yeah. All right, we're going to go to, I got two opportunity to answer two questions from here in the in-studio audience. You're in the front row, so you're going to get second place here. We're going to go, <laughs> you're in the fourth row there, please. Mike's going to come your way, you can use that. Tell us, actually stand up, tell us who you are. That'd be, yeah, this is official, right? Hi, Hi. Hi. How are you? Yep, I think, it, I think it's working, but it's not, you're not attached to the PA. Okay, great. Um, I wanted to ask you about your voice, because I think you have one of the most incredible special voices. And uh, just when you started to sing, what was your first kind of experience with, especially someone who's shy, and a yeah. voice is so personal, so. And I grew up in Hawaii, so what up with buzzes? Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Sarah Rudinoff. That's great to hear from you. Oh, I mean, I remember you know, listening to records in my room and, and singing along all the time, you know, privately in my room with the door shut and not wanting my parents to hear anything, but sort of wanting them to hear, you know? <laughs> um, and singing along to a lot of, so this is, a lot of this is in that time when I lived in England, so um, I had gone to Woolworths and bought Echo and the Bunnymen's Ocean Rain and The Smiths, The Queen is Dead, <laughs> and like, and U2 War and like these, these were, these were records that were on the pop charts in England at the time, but over here at that time, they were pretty obscure, you know? Um, but sitting and, and singing along to all those songs, um, I think I learned how to sing a, a bit. I will say this, um, and it goes back to Brian, having a producer in the room criticizing you as you're singing <laughs> really gets you to focus on, on, on your voice and helps you have perspective, and it really is a great training tool. So I think I, I learned a lot about singing and, and kind of honed the skill a little bit. I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, as all these, the pop acts that you, that you hear, um, you know, I have to say I'm very impressed with a lot of them. I mean, these people are, they're well-trained. I mean, they've gone that route, I guess, but, you know, they really, are great singers, a lot of these kids, you know? Um, and so I'm like self-taught and it's, you know, the, that process, singing in the bedroom with the records and then maybe having the luxury of Brian Burton uh, crapping on your performance once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a great, we're gonna go to the front row here for that second question, but before we do, So Young Lim wants to know, well, if you grew up so shy, what exactly made you get over your shyness? to perform because you have, yeah. if you've got a barrier between you and performing. And why do you want, why do I want to perform? Why yeah, would I Yeah, what is it? Are you, is it masochistic? Okay. What's the well, thing? Yeah. <laughs> I think that, and this is maybe a little bit lofty, but I think that humans want to communicate. It's kind of our thing, right? Kind we, of. We do like, this yeah. thing. We, we speak to each other. We try and express things and we always have. I think that art is sort of an elaboration on that. And so the shyness almost pushes me. It's even more beautiful, the goal of actually communicating to somebody. You know, I mean, it almost makes you want to choke up if you think about it. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it makes it all the more beautiful, you know, yeah. to actually express yourself and have it received, you know? So um, I think that that maybe is the drive. Awesome. Sherry wants to know, 
Will you please, will someone please get on stage and take a picture and see what James and Chase are seeing, are seeing. right now? Pretty faces. So, Casey, <laughs> Casey, can you come up, just take a picture of what we're seeing right now? We're happy to do that, Sherry. We'll That's post so that cool. on social. That's so cool. We can do that. Right yeah, now. we can do that, right? <laughs> we'll post on our social channels. And in the careful, bud. Um, in the meantime, we're going to go to you, fine sir. Please uh, stand up, tell us who you are, and ask your question of Mr. James Mercer. Hi, my name is Mitch, and uh, yeah, my question is about your songwriting. Mm. I know uh, the Shins have gone through a few different lineup changes, and I'm mm -hmm. curious. Um, yeah, has your do you feel your songwriting has it all been tailored by the people you're playing with, or mm. the songs just your songs independently of yeah who they're with? If you can't hear, like, have your have your songs been tailored? independently or are they a reflection of who you're playing with right now? I think they have, it has certainly been altered because, and, and. That's in, probably enough, dude. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Casey, thank you, I'm just kidding. Buddy. I love how he runs his game. I'm just kidding, I love that guy. I'm just love, I'm playing, um, I'm playing, but I, sorry. I would say that it's, it's indirectly because, you know, the people that are around me, I, I am turned on to a lot of music. Um, you know, overhearing what they're hearing. So, like, in my early days, Marty and Neil in the first Shins iteration were just huge music nerds and really opinionated, you know, and um, which was good and bad, you know, but I really got exposed to a lot of cool stuff. And so um, I think that it's, it's indirectly a big influence, the people that I'm playing with, for sure. One more question from the in-studio audience. We're going to all the way back to the tall man with the white shirt. I think his name is Tab. There's so many awesome people in this room. Can I you hear me it. okay? I'm, uh, I'm, you talk loudly. I'll talk loud. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what do you do when shit's gone off course? Like, what's your workflow to course correct when right. things aren't going well creatively or, yeah. you know, in whatever, whatever sense? Well, I mean, I'm working on multiple songs at once. So I can leave a song behind for a little bit, you know, and, and get on to something that maybe I haven't addressed in a couple months, and I might have fresh ears. That's a good thing, uh, I think. Um, the other thing is just question. I think I've found that sometimes the reason I started writing the song is actually the problem. Like, it, sometimes the thing that I thought was the anchor is actually, like, the anvil, <laughs> like I'm holding it down or something, you know? And so, um, question everything, reapproach production. Um, so I'm talking about music, you know? And that's the, kind of the only thing I'm really versed in, but those are the two things I try. You know, and sometimes I just bail. I just abandon a song, you know? There's some research that came out recently. I'm not very good at citing research, so just take my word for it. <laughs> um, research, right? No, but something like that, that there's some optimum number of projects. It's like four or five projects that you have going on at the same time that as, and this is not just for creatives, this is, this is just in life. You've got four or five things that you're working on and when you, hit, you get stuck on one, you move to another, you work on that and you get stuck. And they ultimately, life is pretty simple and all of these things relate to one another in a way that you can't actually under, understand but that they take turns getting the other one unstuck. So it's like, it's wow. five, like you have five songs that you're working on at the same time? Oh or? yeah, sure. And I was just realizing maybe a, a uh, canvas that's laying on the floor that I'm smudging paint around on as well. You know, when I get frustrated or bored with that. So yeah, I like that approach. Great. Well, 
to be able to sit here and speak with you uh, in front of a, a couple hundred folks or 150 folks, however many fit in this small room, uh, has been a treat. And there's just a lot of just the, the, the questions that are coming in from all over the world. There's uh, too many of them for us to get to. But I'm painfully aware that the, the thing that so many people have, um, why they're here, why they're tuning in all over the world, is to hear you play. I can play a couple tunes. Would you guys like that? All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.